Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 50. Yes, that's right, episode 50 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric, and I'll be honest, I am amazed by reaching this milestone, and I'll actually have a bit more to share about this when we wrap up the episode. But today, we are covering the issue highlights for week 30, released on July 26, 2021. And through what I may consider a serendipitous coincidence, it just so happens that it was my turn for the next issue curation. And as always, I had great help from the fellow R Weekly team members and contributors, and this time I had a lot of that help in real time, which I'll share in the episode wrap-up. Back in episode 46 of this podcast, I was excited to share with all of you my impressions of the announcement of the third annual Shiny Contest winners as held by our studio earlier this year. With the great number of submissions this year, it's interesting to take a look at how these applications are constructed and see what kind of patterns emerge that we all can learn from in terms of best practices for building Shiny applications. Well, our studio software engineer and member of the Shiny team, Nick Strayer, did just that in a recent blog post on the RStudio blog, sharing some key takeaways and patterns that they have seen for enhanced Shiny application development best practices. Nick highlights three entries that were submitted in this year's contest, with each of them demonstrating a very important repeatable pattern that can really make your applications be taken to another level. First up was the Commute Explorer by Stefan Schliebs that lets you analyze the community behavior of New Zealanders using the Stats NZ Census 2018 dataset. This application makes excellent use of a concept that I've been, you might say a bit loud about, of shiny modules for compartmentalizing different parts of your application and what was nice about the Commute Explorer is the way that the information flowed between the main application logic and the modules, and that was accomplished by passing reactive values as parameters in each module's server-side function. That's an area that I think is very important once you start building in more than a handful of shiny modules, so much so that I wrote an entire article about it on the Shiny documentation site, which we'll link to in this episode's show notes. Another common theme we saw in many apps is the way they customize the overall appearance and themes via styling. The Wedding app by Margot Brard was an excellent demonstration of how you can make an application stand out and practically hide any traces of it being built with a typical Shiny framework. Certainly the world of CSS and styling can be a somewhat daunting task if you've never been in this world of web development, but being able to leverage the examples seen in these submissions combined with the recent advancements in Shiny with theming thanks to the powerful BS lib and thematic packages it now becomes much more attainable 
to achieve a polished and unique look to your applications using these fundamental technologies that are now part of the standard Shiny ecosystem. Lastly, Nick highlights the Restore app by Luke Nagota and Ann Callie that reveals the organization of how reactive variables are constructed. In this application, the authors would avoid complex nesting of particular objects or processing within the application server logic, which could be very hard to parse and debug if every part of the reactive processing was included in a major observe or reserve event block. Being able to separate server-side computations as individual reactives is a terrific way to organize your application's code base and to ensure future collaborators, or perhaps even future you, will be able to understand the individual pieces effectively. These are just a few of the techniques seen in many of the application submissions. And if you would like more details on how these applications were constructed, feel free to check out the RStudio community, and in particular the Shiny Contest tag, to review all of the submissions and see which ones you would like to pursue further in your journey of Shiny development. I've been able to see some great emerging trends in how our users around the world are supercharging their analyses of data and also their presentation of results. And little did I know that in this next highlight, we will see the convergence of two very, what seem to be distinct paradigms coming together in such a seamless and effective way. Now, just what am I referring to here? Well, it's been no secret that many of the great resources and explorations of data shared in our weekly issues center around the effective use of our markdown to, pro to provide literate programming and effective narrative to describe the analyses in hand, the techniques, and interpreting the results. And going back to episode 19, I was excited to be able to share my take on the relatively new Targetopia, in essence, the ecosystem around the very highly acclaimed targets package by statistician Will Landau. And as I was introducing that highlight way back then, I had made what seemed to be a fairly passing comment on how many in the R community we're utilizing tools like R Markdown in interesting ways to present their analyses, but that it was only one particular aspect of a data science workflow. At that time, I had not envisioned that R Markdown could also play a role in how workflow management is constructed. Well, fast forward to earlier this year, and Will has incorporated what may be one of the most exciting developments in the reproducible analysis and workflow pipeline management piece that I can recall. And that is the target markdown format, which is new in one of the recent updates to the targets package, which we are covering now in our second highlight today. In a nutshell, target markdown takes the excellent benefits 
of literate programming as we have seen in the traditional R markdown format and adds in special chunk types that can interface directly with the targets package itself to be able to neatly construct both the narrative around the particular analysis workflow and setting up the various targets to actually carry out your analysis. Getting down to more details, Target Markdown is utilizing a special Knitter language engine in which you specify the code chunks with targets rather than the traditional R within the setup of the chunk. And many options exist to be able to fine tune the settings of these chunks to produce what will result in a traditional targets pipeline. It is extremely easy to get started with this format where you can either leverage the built-in use targets function or actually select an R markdown template via the RStudio IDE, just like you would with any traditional R markdown based package. The potential that target markdown brings is absolutely immense in many situations. Too many times, many of us, and I'll even include myself in this, have built very sophisticated sets of R scripts, which in and of itself can be difficult to manage, especially when you look at the entire data analysis pipeline. And then, as we were getting closer to maybe finalizing or interpreting the results of that analysis, I would actually produce a separate R markdown document that would try to source at least some of those results via those additional scripts and tidy up all together into a separate document. But the issue is now I have multiple components that are each separated and trying to keep each of them in line can be a major difficulty. But what Target Markdown is bringing is to those that are comfortable with the idea of documenting the exact details of your analysis in a clear way via R Markdown so that you minimize, of course, the copy-paste issue that we often have dealt with in the past. But now you can turn that up even more notches, so to speak, by being able to harness the power of targets so that you don't have to rerun particular steps of analysis if only a few inputs change or you simply want to tweak the final presentation of results. Now, everything can be bundled together in a single R Markdown document or perhaps a collection of R Markdown documents that would make the final version being a bookdown format or even a website. Their possibilities are really open to your creativity. And if you want to see just what this example might look like in a real situation, Will has constructed a very nice example that's gonna be part of an upcoming workshop at the R and Medicine Conference in which he leverages a Bayesian model that's written in the Stan language that uses a custom prior and being able to loop all of this into a single R Markdown document via Target Markdown to use both targets and as well as the extension package Stan targets 
part of that aforementioned Targetopia, it is an excellent way to see just how all these features come together that can really take your analysis to another level. The latest release of Targets has additional important enhancements and features, not just with Target Markdown, including some enhancements to the TAR Watch and TAR Poll functions to make them even more usable in many situations, along with other minor bug fixes and, and features that were included. The supplement section of this episode's show notes will have complete details on the actual changes in this release, but it is again a very exciting time in the target's life cycle to introduce such an innovative new way of constructing your analysis pipelines with the R Markdown format, giving you another avenue to leverage the power of workflow management in the R ecosystem. Another common theme we've seen in the, or the 49 previous episodes has been the extensive customizations and creativity that's possible with ggplot2. The enhanced system for extensions that was introduced in previous releases of ggplot2 make it pretty straightforward now that with the right investment and time and effort, you too can create your own wrappers that take ggplot2 in different directions or even slightly change how existing functionality works. That's exactly what Mike FC, who goes by the still amusing to me, cool but useless handle on GitHub and Twitter, has now written a new package called Facetious that gives an alternative paradigm for creating facets in ggplot2. In essence, the package contains two main functions that give a slightly different spin on how facets are created. First of which is facet wrap strict, which ensures that plots have consistent sizes if the number of rows and number of columns are not necessarily perfectly matched. In other words, maybe you have a facet grid that's two rows by three columns. In traditional ggplot2, the vertical spacing in these plots would often outweigh the horizontal spacing in a way that kind of looks like somebody stretched them out a bit. But with this function, facet wrap strict, now the plots will have a more, you might say, normal looking size. And again, that might be helpful to you, especially if you have to adhere to different standards for your visualizations. The other main function is facet grid blank, which actually inserts empty placeholders or grobs in the places where a particular combination of say two faceting variables does simply does not exist. You might have a situation where you have a data set that has uh, two sets of factors and perhaps there's just one combination of those factors that simply is not part of that original data. Well, with this function in place, instead of just showing a plot that has a blank canvas, so to speak, you can now take advantage of that space to actually put in your own content instead. You could even keep them empty as blank spaces, but you can also fill it with your own custom image 
and perhaps, like in his example on the GitHub repo, even have some fun with some statistical memes inside. This is another example of from what the user might see, feel as a simple package, but it does its job well, and it's coming from a very talented source who seems to be turning out very creative extensions to R practically every time I look. And those are your R Weekly highlights for today. I teased it earlier in the episode, but for this curation, I decided to have a bit of uh, fun and getting some, you might say, real-time feedback on my experience with curating the issue. Way back over a year ago, I had created a simple video tutorial for the Art Weekly YouTube channel on what it's like to do a curation and kind of the steps involved. Well, on top of that being quite a long time ago, and with some recent enhancements our team has made to make the curation process even easier, well, for this curation, I thought it'd be fun to both revisit that, but in an even more interactive way. So, what I had done on this past Friday was actually live stream my curation process on my Twitch channel. And lo and behold, I actually had a few people tune in. And it was really cool to be able to answer questions interactively on the spot and actually get help from the viewers on fixing a couple of minor things I encountered along the way. And if you weren't able to watch that live, I have good news for you. I have a link in the supplements section of this episode's show notes with a direct link to the recording of that stream. And as usual, you're going to find another batch of awesome resources in this week's issue including episode 68 of the Tidy X screencast, an exciting new package for simulating fantasy football data, a great blog post by David Robinson on what he's learned from participating in the sliced machine learning competition for data science, and much more. And if you would like to help out with R Weekly and perhaps even become a member of our very fun curation team, you can find complete details on how to join our group at the, at the top of each issue released on rweekly.org. We always welcome your feedback. There is a handy feedback tab on the main site if you like to provide that. And definitely check out the live section of the R Weekly homepage where you'll see each new resource come in in practically real time. Well, have a fantastic week, and we'll be back with another batch of our weekly highlights next week.